0: other faith uh, traditions? I think there could be uh, a variety of answers to that. What is it that makes Christianity unique? There's a writer uh, named Michael Green. He talks about different religions and and how they are different from Christianity, and he he categorizes them. Uh, He talks about do-it-yourself religions. Uh, These are religions that uh, teach people to achieve kind of Self salvation or some sort of transcendence through like meditation or performance of rituals. So he classifies Buddhism in that uh, category. Uh, in Buddhism, you don't have a personal god to relate to, and in many forms of Hinduism as well, there's no personal god. But it's this practice that they teach you in order to achieve some level of of salvation. So there's the the do it yourself category of religion and he even talks about how there's a secular version of that and that is in some some uh, social justice movements of course in the Bible God is concerned about justice but in secular versions of social justice oftentimes the idea is that we can do this on our own like we can rid the world of evil and injustice and and that's kind of a secular do-it-yourself religion we will achieve the salvation that we are aiming for through our efforts through our efforts and then and then he talks about um, occult religions that uh, are on the rise even today like Wicca and witchcraft and and animism the belief that there are spirits in objects and in the in, in natural uh, objects and um, that in these religions it's not about really knowing God it's about Placating these spirits, trying to appease these spirits or use these spirits to help you in your life. It's not about a relationship with God. Uh, And then he talks about prophetic religions, like in Islam. Muhammad claims to be a prophet of God. But um, he doesn't claim to reveal God, only he claims to reveal God's message. In our Gospel reading, Jesus Well, he is a prophet, but he's more than a prophet because he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He reveals God to those who receive this revelation of himself. In Islam, according to this book, uh, he quotes an Islamic scholar who says that the idea of a relationship of love with God in Islam is just out of the question. God is too high. God is too transcendent. Well... This gets to the issue of what makes Christianity unique among other religions. And I think Jesus' is teaching in John 14, especially the last verses that we read, or that Nancy read in uh, verses 15 through 17, which I want to focus on, gets us to uh, to the answer of that question. What makes Christianity unique? And that is, it offers a relationship with the living God. A relationship of communion of fellowship through through Jesus and by the Spirit. So there's a Trinitarian dimension here. We can know God the Father through God the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and so there's this union that God invites us to through Christ, a union with God that is so close that Jesus says in our passage that He, speaking of the Spirit, will be with you and will dwell in you. That's how close this union is. And I want us to look here at these words that Jesus uses to describe the relationship that he is calling his disciples into. Words like love, a helper, a personal spirit of truth who will be, again, not just with you, but in you, these are relational images. Let's think about the first one. He talks about love, agape love. If you love me, he says, you will keep my commandments. He is calling his disciples, he's calling us into a, a love relationship with him. Um, that, that word agape is a, a self-giving love, mm-hmm. a sacrificial love. It also means to esteem somebody highly. So, he's saying, if you esteem me highly, then you will uh, obey my commandments. You will esteem my words and you'll want, to, you'll want to obey me. So, what is the mark of somebody who loves Jesus? Sometimes, some people are, are more emotional about their love of Jesus. And when you talk to them about Jesus, they get emotional they can't hardly talk about Jesus without getting excited or tearing up and, and, and that's, kind of a, that's a wonderful thing, and sometimes maybe you've gone through seasons in your life where your love for Christ was like that, and it was very emotional and effective and and that is wonderful and that is a part of, of loving God. we're to love Him with all that we are, including our emotions and our affections but but sometimes you know we don't necessarily feel emotionally this kind of Urgent love for Christ, and that's okay because that is not the ultimate mark of whether or not we love him. The ultimate mark, Jesus says here, is obedience. How are we doing in obeying Christ, of seeking to to, uh, keep his word and obey his word? This is the fruit, this is the sign of our love for Christ, is keeping and obeying his word. Now, we do this in response to his love for us. He's in this passage, this is part of his um, upper room discourse, and he has already demonstrated his love for his disciples by washing their feet. He's demonstrated this agape love. He's loved them first. He's getting ready to go to the cross where he's going to show them at the cross his agape, his sacrificial love. That's where we see the love of Christ so clearly, right? I say it all the time, but if you ever doubt the love of Christ for you, look to the cross of Christ. There's the love of God for you. So we love because he first loved us. And then in response to that love, because we esteem him highly, we we want to obey him. We want to honor him with our lives. And of course, we don't do that perfectly and... And the disciples didn't do that perfectly. <laughs> Just after this, after Jesus is, is uh, arrested and, and he's on trial, the disciples flee. <laughs> so they've been told, if you love me, you're going to esteem me highly. You're going to obey me. And then when the going gets tough, they go. And so they need restoration. They need forgiveness. And that's what Jesus does for them. And that's what he does for us. So he's the only perfect obeyer. But this is not about perfection. This is about the direction of our life. Have we seen the love of Christ at the cross for us? Do we know that God loves us through Christ? And that will change our heart and attach us to Jesus. That's where it starts. And then Jesus calls us into this kind of reciprocal relationship of love. And he makes some remarkable promises in in, in this passage. Now, we we don't have it all here, but as the passage unfolds in John 14... He begins to talk about how this relationship, uh, this, this relationship that he's inviting his disciples into, is one big circle of love between the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and they're included in this. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And then listen to this promise. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him. And I will manifest myself to him. So, if we want to know Jesus more, want to know Him more clearly, um, He's inviting us to that. We will make, He says, the Father will come and love you, and I will manifest myself to you. You will know more of Me in this love relationship, and um, and then He says in verse um, in verse uh, twenty twenty three, I'm sorry, I I'd quoted that previous verse was not 24, it was 21. But 23, he says, and this is wonderful, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. We will, we will set up our house. Your life will become a dwelling place for the love of the Father and the Son. Uh, your, your body as Paul says, will be a temple of the Holy Spirit. As you reciprocate this love, as you open yourself up to the love of Christ, this will be uh, where we dwell and we will make our home with you, Jesus promises. What a wonderful, wonderful uh, promise. You know, this idea of of finding a home, um, it's so strong in our culture, isn't it? Um, any story, any, well, most old stories have this idea, especially children's stories, of being lost and then trying to find a way back home. I was watching with our kids a Disney show, and this often has this theme, and it was Finding Dory. A long time ago, they made Finding Nemo, and Dory was part of the Finding Nemo. Uh, movie. And she, if you remember that movie, it's about a fish who, Nemo, who gets lost and separated from his parents and then has this friend Dory who suffers from short-term memory loss. And the second movie is Finding Dory and it tells the story of her as a little, uh, a little fish and how she got this short-term memory loss and then she was separated from her parents. And the whole movie is about her finding her way back home finding her way back to her family. And God's love is our home. And God wants to dwell with us and set up a home. And the problem with us is that, like Dory, we forget. There are things that in our life that pull us away from the love of God as the primary thing. And we begin to love created things rather than the Creator who's given us these things. And we can, as the old country song you know the song, looking for love in all the wrong places. That can be the story of our life. And we don't feel fulfilled and we don't, we're messing something. And here Jesus says, what you're messing is this love that's eternal, that goes on forever. And we will make our home with you. And so this is the relationship that, that Christ invites us into, this love relationship. And then uh, Jesus says now, uh, in order to... Obey Him in order to live this kind of life. But we're not going to have to do it in our own strength. We can't do it in our own strength. We can't obey the commands of Christ. We can't love Christ as we ought in our own strength. It's like leaning on a, on a weak and broken stick. It won't hold. It's not strong enough. We need something else. And He provides that. He provides the Holy Spirit. A helper. A helper who comes alongside of us. See what he says? I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. A helper, which is in the Greek, you might know the word here is paraclete. Paraclete, Not parakeet. (laughs) There's a story about a a lady who heard this in a sermon and she began to think of a parakeet as the third member of the Trinity. (laughs) It's paraclete. The, the one who comes alongside is what it means. To be called to your side as a helper, as an assistant, as a, sometimes it's translated counselor. But it's somebody who is there and Jesus says he will be there with you forever at your side. So you're not going to have to try to live this life on your own. Jesus had been their helper. He'd been their helper for three years. Years or so, He had been with them. He had been God with them. The Son of God incarnate in the flesh with them. He had been God with them, helping them, helping them to understand God, helping them to see the power of God in His miracles, helping them to see the love of God in His compassion, helping them to hear the wisdom of God in His teaching. He had been their helper God with them, but he says now, I'm not going to leave you like an orphan on your own, without resources, without fatherly care, without help. I'm going to send you a helper who will be with you and he will be with you forever. And in another place in John 16, 7, he says, I tell you the truth, it is for your advantage that I go away. If I don't go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I promise, I will send you to Him. And that promise was fulfilled on Pentecost. He sent the Helper to be with them forever. It's amazing what he says here. He says, it's it's better, it's to your advantage that I go away, that you don't have my bodily presence... And instead, you have the spiritual presence of God. Think about that next time you watch a TV show or a movie show or something like The Chosen. And you think, oh, it would be so nice to be with the historical Jesus. Jesus is saying, it's actually better that you have the Holy Spirit. It's to your advantage that I go away. It's better for uh, for you to have the spiritual presence of God than the physical presence of Jesus. That's hard to believe, isn't it? But it is by the presence of the Holy Spirit that God is is able to be with all believers like us everywhere at all times. And Jesus says in the Great Commission, he promises, I will be with you always to his disciples, even to the ends of the earth. I will always be with you wherever you go. That happens by the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, who's with those who trust in Christ. The helper has come. Uh, these disciples needed help in their understanding of who Jesus is. They needed to grow in their understanding of Jesus. And Jesus says later on that when the Helper comes, He will lead you into all truth. How many of us need to know more about Jesus? Could grow in our wisdom and our understanding of who Jesus is and what He means to us. Well, that's the role of the Holy Spirit. and We can ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Help me know more about Jesus. Help me to love Jesus more. Help me to obey Jesus more. They needed boldness. They're going to need courage to stand up for Jesus because he goes on and he says, they're going to persecute you like they persecuted me. A a servant is not above his master. And the world has hated me and they're going to hate you and they've persecuted me and they're going to persecute you. But I'm going to give you a helper who will help you. To witness with boldness. How many of us could use some boldness and courage when it comes to our witness and our standing for Christ? Even when it's difficult. Even when we feel opposition. Even when it starts to get uncomfortable when we're talking with family and friends about what we believe. To kind of push through that discomfort. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus promises that. We can ask the Holy Spirit to help us in these ways. And then finally, Jesus describes the Holy Spirit here, not only as a helper, but um, the helper who is with us. He's, he's the helper who is God with us, but also as the personal spirit of truth. The personal spirit of truth. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. It cannot perceive. The world cannot perceive spiritual things. Spiritual things that come from God. The world is attached to the visible. to What can be perceived by the visible eye. But those who have the Spirit of Christ abiding in them can perceive the work of, of the Spirit. He says the world can't receive this because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. Now we know that Jesus invites the world to believe in Him and we invite the world to believe in Him. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish. And so there's this disjunction between Christ and his people and the world, and our job is to preach the gospel so that those who are in the world might receive Christ and be able to perceive and know the Spirit of Christ. But until that happens, until they believe, the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But he says, you know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. And so here Jesus describes the spirit in personal terms, doesn't he? He uses personal pronouns. The spirit is a he, a him, not an it. He will be with you. He will be in you. So to say that a Christian has received the spirit of truth is to say that he or she is in relationship with this divine person. And this truth is the truth about who God is and this truth about who Christ is, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. that That is something that is open to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this truth doesn't come from us, but it is received by us. It comes from the Spirit. And so, when it comes to this issue of truth, one thing that we've got to be careful with in our culture when we talk about we believe in the truth of Christ, we need to make it clear that this is not a truth that we have come to because we're morally superior or we're intellectually more sophisticated, but rather we've come to this truth because God has shown it to us and it's a gift. And so, that puts us in this place of, of humility. We're the ones who receive this and we want to pass this on to other people. It's not something that we can take pride in. The truth doesn't come from us, it comes from Him. And this truth is the truth about ourselves, too. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin and to convict us of sin. Again, this is about a personal relationship. God interacting with us as His people One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin. Paul says in our passage that we read that we are to mortify sin, we're to kill sin by the Holy Spirit. And so this is one thing that we can ask the Holy Spirit to do in our lives, is like to uncover anything that grieves Him. Anything, any attitude, as we sing about in that song, any attitude, any action that is is contrary to the Spirit of Christ. I heard a pastor this week, he was talking about the role of the Holy Spirit in his life. And, and he said that when he became a Christian, he became a Christian as a teenage boy, he, um, he had a stack of pornography in the back of his garage. He was hiding this. This was before the days of the internet. And so he had a stack of magazines hid under some logs in the back of the garage. And then when he invited Christ into his life, the Holy Spirit came in and he said, I immediately knew this was wrong to be looking at these images that degrade women, to be involved in this sort of addictive behavior that is degrading to me was not pleasing to the Holy Spirit who dwells within. And so he said, the first thing I did was grab these magazines and burn them into the into the fire because I had an inward sense born of the spirit that pornography would compromise my relationship with God. And then he goes on and he says, you know, there's so many things like that as, as Christians. And, and now decades later, after he's given his life to Christ, he said, there are things in my life that I need to ask the Holy Spirit to convict me of. And then I, I need to follow the, the prompting of the Holy Spirit, who's the spirit of truth. When he says, hey, you know what? You really lost it there with your wife. That was really out of a place of anger you need to ask forgiveness. Or that, that look, that lustful thought, that needs to be something that you take captive. Or, or that dishonesty is something that doesn't please me. See, he, he reveals the truth. The truth about Christ. The truth about our need for forgiveness. The truth about our sin. And, and this pastor says, we don't need to fear these inner urgings because the Holy Spirit never condemns. But he gently convicts. And he does it so that we're restored more and more into the image and likeness of Christ. That's how personal the work of the Holy Spirit is. We need the Holy Spirit to reveal truth. We need the Holy Spirit to help us. We can't do it without Him. And the whole point of all this, and I'll just conclude with this. this point, The point of this relationship that Christ invites us into, that is empowered by the Holy Spirit is that it leads to not only our own satisfaction because we've been looking for love in all the wrong places and then we find it in God, but it leads to the glorify- glorification of Christ, the glorification of God. It, it brings glory to, ultimately, to God, to have a people who know Him this way. And Jesus says in John 15, 8, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. So let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, for all of us. That we would uh, seek you. Seek the work of your Holy Spirit to know you more. To love you more. To grow in obedience to Christ. That Christ might be glorified in us. I pray that individually for each of us. I pray that for our church. That our church would be a place filled with people who live in obedience to the Holy Spirit and the Word of Christ. That Christ might be glorified. We live in an age where many people are turning away from the church because there's been so much that the church has done to dishonor your name, Lord Christ. Help us to be a place by your grace Where your name is honored. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said,